Many times in the world of film and television, people are encouraged to pick a role. Producer, director, writer, which one are you? Sometimes, however, someone like Twila Amin arises. Twila has experience working as all of the aforementioned and more. Born in North Carolina to an African-American mother and a Cameroonian father, Twila fell in love early with art and media. By childhood, she was auditioning for national commercials as an actor and performing. As she grew, so did her love for show business. Twilla entered the famed University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and excelled. If ever she was wary about what she wanted to do in life, this was confirmation. She completed UNC and continued her journey into film in Howard University's MFA program. Ready and prepared to take on the world, Twilla moved to Los Angeles. Years on, Twilla has touched virtually every facet of show business and has worked for major networks, production companies, and music artists. She has even won some awards along the way. She is capable of birthing a concept and shepherding it to completion. Her ability to do this led her to team up with colleague Dion Lack to start Lactose Entertainment, an innovative multimedia production company that develops web content, short films, comedy sketches, and promo videos. Twilla has accomplished much. However, the world has not seen her best work as yet. She is filled with ideas and concepts that once released are sure to shift the world. Remember her name. She is a growing force in the world of entertainment. Get used to hearing the phrase, and the award goes to Twilla Amin, because Twilla is not done yet. This is the story, thus far, of Twilla Amin. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30. She is a screenwriter, producer, director, and all-around entrepreneur, Twila Amin Tanyi. Welcome to Planet 30. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. Good to have you. Good to have you. So, Twila, you are one half Cameroonian, one half African-American, specifically from the South. What was that blend like? growing up you know it was really interesting growing up because um i guess like it's backstory my dad is from cameroon um he came here to well he came to the states and uh somehow ended up in shelby north carolina of all places of all places on a student visa um and shelby north carolina is like 45 minutes outside of charlotte it is rural very slow very country um so growing up um as a kid in the 80s in the south people didn't really weren't really kind to africans if you will so like i often heard like the african booty scratcher type thing and i was always slightly 
I didn't know what it meant, but I, I knew to be offended. Like, nobody wanted to be that. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. Like, it wasn't really any strong pride. Like, I see, I feel like you see that now. Like, growing up, there's a lot of pride in being um, African, but I always felt like I was made fun of. And then as I grew and to understand, like, culture and... You know, and that other people were just stupid. <laughs> kind of, I kind of grew into that pride. Like I, for a long time, I actually hid from my middle name. Mm. Um, and Amin is not necessarily Cameroonian, but it's my dad's first name. And in our family culture, we pass names down. So I had my dad's first name, and I just felt like it was masculine and weird and not American. So, like, I remember, like, in fifth grade being like, or you could call me Amy, just drop the N. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And so now I kind of wear it as a a badge of honor, definitely. Nice, nice, of course, of course. And in the South, I mean, (laughs) the 80s in in the Southern United States, I mean, there must have been some interesting, um, there must have been some interesting times. Uh, The 80s was such an eventful decade. Especially for um, for black people here in the states, as a kid, did you always know that you wanted to uh, be involved in media or film? Like, what was the dream at that time, growing up as, as a child? Absolutely, I knew very early on, which is I say a gift and a curse. <laughs> I knew, like, ever since I remember, I wanted to be an actress when I was about like. I had to be like four, three or four. Knew I knew I wanted to be an actress. I would watch TV. I watched Star Search. I just knew that I wanted to be one of those acts on the on the stage of Star Search, um, and I wanted to have one of those houses in Hollywood that I saw on uh, was it Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous? Robin Leach's Lifestyles <laughs> of the Rich and Famous. Yes, <laughs> I remember that to a point. I remember telling my mom like. I must have the wrong parents. I was born to the wrong family. I'm supposed to live there. <laughs> um, so I always, always knew. So I was always involved somehow in acting, whether it was like school plays or things like that. And I think it was like in middle school where I started like auditioning. Now, keep in mind, we didn't have like internet to look up these auditions. So how I was finding out about these auditions, I don't know. <laughs> And it wasn't like my parents are stage parents at all. Like, my mom was more like the opposite. She's like, I'm going to let you figure this part out because I don't want to be that stage mom. And I don't want you to blame me for stuff going wrong. So, so I would find auditions. I would go to, like, all the acting and modeling classes um, with my parents' support, of course. And then I think by the time I was 16... Living in Shelby, North Carolina at that time, I had an agent. I had done some national auditions. I had done some background for film and television. Um, And it was also around that time that I kind of figured I didn't like the roles that were available to us. And as a teenager, I realized that like a lot of the roles that my agent would send, I was just like, I can't relate to this. This isn't my upbringing. And so, what were you doing? Was, commercials or television? Or I would, I'd, I'd be auditioning mostly for like film and TV because North Carolina does have a little film and TV scene. Okay. Um, like Wilmington, sometimes in Charlotte. Now I didn't get any of these things. I was just very active in auditioning. <laughs> Got you. Yeah, 
I think I had landed one role and production got pushed back. Um, and then something happened and I couldn't take it. I think I was starting college the next week. So we decided not to, to like to turn down that particular role. What? You chose college over acting? I know, right? Uh, that's the African in me. Like, I don't know if I really had a choice. <laughs> 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 Education was everything growing up uh, to the point that, um, you know, like you would have AP classes. Right. And I made a C in my AP European honors class and my parents pulled me out of theater. I was like devastated. That was the worst thing they could do to me, but uh, I did not do theater for the rest of my high school career. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. You want to act? You want to act? No. <laughs> you want to get good grades. Exactly. <laughs> Your job is to get good grades. <laughs> <laughs> So you, you're in high school, you get pulled out of acting, unfortunately. So then you decide to go to Chapel Hill. A, yes. A, why Chapel Hill? And B, tell me about your experience there. So Chapel Hill, growing up in North Carolina, like, you know, you can go to, if you're on the college track, you could go to Chapel Hill or you can go to Duke. Uh, <laughs> and Chapel Hill, especially in public schools, was like the holy grail. So imagine in um, my high school, they had on the boards like, this is what you need to get into any college in North Carolina, and this is what you need to get into Chapel Hill. Going further back, growing up in um, that area, my mom um, worked at Duke, but I went to a school program where they sent us to Chapel Hill on Saturdays for Saturday school. And I just love the college experience there. So I knew since like seventh grade, I was going to Chapel Hill. That was my school. That was the goal. Um, and I had an amazing experience at Chapel Hill. Um, I was there where I was a communications and theater major. I met so many different types of black people. Mm -hmm. And I can say for sure that this is not everybody's experience at a PWI. Um, but for me, it was definitely like I met so many people who look like myself, um, who had similar backstories. People had completely different backstories, like meeting rich black people. That was huge. Like, oh, my, black people have money, money. <laughs> <laughs> so I just met it. And I don't know, like, I really I think that was the first time in my life um, that I felt so a part of a community in in school, because and I'll, I need to say this, like, as growing up as a kid who was always put in honors classes a lot of times I was the only one in our honors classes so I was the black representative and I really felt that in high school I always felt isolated like I was the black voice I remember a teacher um, in high school asking me um, what could teachers do to get more black people to do well in school wow and, I'm a teenager. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Do your jobs maybe teach black history? I don't know. <laughs> and it just felt 
I don't know, like it felt very isolating. And so my experience to go to Carolina, I had an opportunity to do a project, uh, go through a program called Project Uplift, where they invited uh, students, African-American students who were like in the top quarter of their class to come and get this experience for like a couple of days at Chapel Hill over the summer. And that was the first time that I was exposed to uh, frats and sororities. I was exposed to just like um, so many black people in this community. And I was like, I want like that confirmed that I want to be at Chapel Hill. So when I went to Chapel Hill, that was my community and I was active in the black student movement. I was active in like uh, our community service. Um my friends, just like my full experience as a black person at Carolina outside of the classroom was everything that I needed. Now in the classroom, I went back to being that only (laughs) a lot of times. Um, And especially in our theater department, I experienced uh, the lack of diversity and how that that hindered the opportunity for Carolina to be great in those areas. And it also is the reason I chose to go to Howard for grad school. Um, It was at Carolina that I have a professor who I actually really adore. Um, Professor David Sontag was my writing professor, a script writing professor. And I was writing a scene in my script and it took place at a church. Mm -hmm. And this white Jewish man told me that my church, my black church scene did not feel authentic. Oh. And I was just like, well, because he would know. I, <laughs> I was like, I know for sure that I do black church every weekend. So I know exactly what this is like. And then he proceeded to tell me how he um, was friends with Maya Angelou and did Thanksgiving with her every year. So he felt like he could say this. And I was just like, you're not really friends with Maya if you're saying this to me. Like in my head, I was like, you don't really know her. Um, but he also further, he said something later on in that semester and he was like, please don't take this the wrong way, but I feel like you would really uh, thrive at Howard's film program. And I definitely took it the wrong way because I was like, <laughs> well, I got to go to black school. Right. Why can't, why can't NYU or any other place like cultivate my needs? You know, like, why do I have to go to the black school? But then I looked into Howard and I was like, I've always wanted to go to an HBCU anyway. Let's do it, you know? Right, right, right. That, that's so interesting that, that he had so many perspectives and opinions about, about you. Yeah, yeah. It's very And I knew he meant no harm. Like, now I know he meant no harm, but... The delivery. It was all in the, the delivery. delivery. Yeah. 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 And, of course, he went to uh, Chapel Hill with our good friend, Lori Webster Four, who we've had on the podcast before. And then, you, as you mentioned, you went along to Howard. Now, yeah. was Howard a good decision? You know what? I think um, Howard was the best decision for me, especially at the time. And I say that because it helped me find my voice. It also helped me to meet the most incredible people I've ever met in life. I met some amazing classmates, and I'm not just saying that because I'm talking to you, Crispin. <laughs> but, but I just think, like, um, I was really pushed and challenged in a way 
by our faculty that I've never been pushed or challenged before. And I don't know if it was always like intentional or lack of funding, but in that push and me feeling so, especially in our first semester, just feeling so like lost and confused. Like I really had found a group of people that helped pull me up and help, um, help me figure it out along the way. Mm -hmm. Um, I think when it comes to learning how to be like a guerrilla filmmaker and working outside of a system. I'll agree with that 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Like the stuff that you won't find from a USC. And we know USC is phenomenal. Um, I have great friends that went to USC and I use their network to my advantage as well. But as far as uh, just training you, training you, us. To you, go know, you know enough about every department. Exactly. There was no one specialty. You knew it. You know it all. Yeah. And necessity yeah. necessity or, or lack of resources, whatever you want to call it, it really did lend to, I think, all of us going through that program uh, at whatever level. Um, it really helped us to become better uh, filmmakers. Yes, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was your favorite professor at Howard? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would say that's a really good question. Um, I personally, the one who impacted me the most probably would be Professor Millington because I feel like I had him for every class. <laughs> um, but even just like, uh, one of the assignments that he gave me that I hated, you might remember this assignment, it was the going shot by shot by shot like each frame of a certain scene in a movie yes i despise that and then uh writing the type of shot it is close up medium Uh um what was the audio um mise-en-scene or the dialogue dialogue. uh everything and then writing an essay about the sequence yes that was such a torturous <laughs> assignment. Like, I, I could not watch, because I was assigned The Godfather. I could not watch The Godfather, which is one of my favorite films for a very long time after that. But now, as a film, like, you know, as a more mature filmmaker, I understand it. And I know how important it is that some things, like, sometimes we think things are just accidents, but it's very deliberate. And, um... I do appreciate him for that assignment, although I still break out in sweats behind it. <laughs> <laughs> also, I think my, my favorite was uh, Professor Merritt. Oh, Bichetta Merritt. Bichetta Merritt. <laughs> I love her. I love her. Um, and you know what's funny? One of my professors from Chapel Hill, um, Professor Register, was... Did she say her... Her student, or however, like that, like there was a tie between uh, Professor Register at Chapel Hill and uh, Professor uh, Merritt, and you could tell, like, because I had those both, there was like certain things in their teaching style that I was like, oh yeah, y'all definitely, somebody definitely was influenced. Somebody influenced somebody. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Twila, tell me, do you remember the first film you ever wrote or directed? This, this is always a fun thing to to reminisce Ooh. about. <laughs> 
My word. I remember both of these first. The first film I ever wrote um, was the film that I did in, um, actually in undergrad, I wrote a film and I used that as the same film, you know, the first, uh, our first script writing class at Howard, they say, bring a copy of a script, bring a draft of a script that you've already written. And that's what you're going to be able to work on throughout the semester. Um, my professor that semester for that class was Haile Garima. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. So on the first day, the very first day, that first week of class, we had to read a scene from the script out loud. <laughs> and, oh, my gosh. I I just remember looking over. I don't know if you remember. Um, with so many people, I remember one of the classmates, he was sweating. He had pulled out <laughs> a scarf <laughs> as he was reading his script. And I, I, I got my script. I mean, I started reading my script. I was very proud because in undergrad, I was the girl who everybody was like, this girl wrote a whole feature, right? And the, you know, the feedback I got was great from classmates. Like, oh, you're really good at dialogue. I love this description. And Haile Garima goes, you're racist against your own people. <laughs> and then he was like, and this character has never been laid. And I was like, oh, my God. I, and I, I laugh at that because I came across that script, like, maybe three months ago and reread it. And I was like, I see what he's talking about. <laughs> it was not, I was like, this script is not great. Your first piece of work, you always think that this is the best thing ever. Yes. So cringeworthy. So, uh, yes. So, to answer your question, absolutely I remember it. And it's not great at all. The first piece I directed was actually at Howard in undergrad um, in our cine class, I believe. Okay. Um, no, it wasn't. I think it was. it was definitely a class for Crawford. But the first thing I directed, we redid a scene, and I did um, from a classic film, and I did His Girl Friday. Came across that like a year ago too, and I watched it, and I was just like, it just felt like a play, you know, <laughs> like a play on video. Mm-hmm. Um, so young, and I like the choices you make, and you you just those will never see the light of day. I swear. What <laughs> you you want to bring up the anthology? No, <laughs> I will bury those. Like I want to keep it, just so I can always be humble and look at it myself. But this is where I'm I used to be. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I am not sharing that with anybody. <laughs> oh man! So after Howard, you uh, decided to take the big leap and you moved to La La Land, Los yes. Angeles, California, to be in the film business. Um, tell me some of your uh, experiences and places you've worked, because I, I know that you've worked for some really great shows. Yes, yes, L.A., man. Um, so my first job out in L.A. was for, I still cannot, I just, I won't say the name, but it was for an actor who had started a development company. And... Um, like a well-known actor 
um, black actor. I was really excited because I had also had a crush on this actor in high school. Um, but early on, I learned right away, like those Hollywood stereotypes of nightmares and cruelty that happened <laughs> in the office. Like he, he was definitely the type that would like cuss people out, yell at you, demand his coffee or smoothie, um, and just say some really like negative things. So like, it was very anxiety filled for me. Like I'm already naturally an anxious person. So to experience like getting yelled at for no reason, was really like, <laughs> that was, that was my break. That was, you know, like that was my first taste of Hollywood. And how did you, how did you even land the job? Um, bro, Craigslist, like, <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> it was like a gig listed on Craigslist looking for, um, executive assistant slash intern, like all these words now, like as the, you know, as a vet in Hollywood, I'm like, don't take that job, girl. Uh, you know, because uh, an executive assistant slash intern, intern was the code word that you're not getting paid. Uh, <laughs> and listed in Craigslist, it wasn't necessarily like on the UTA list, which was an agency list that used to get passed around for all the cool assistant jobs and stuff in the, um, in the industry. So I just but I got it um, off Craigslist, submitted my resume. I came in. Um, the interview was great. Like, everybody was really nice. I met the uh, actor at that time, and I was, you know, trying really hard not to be starstruck, but I definitely was. <laughs> and, and I remember going in the interview, and this blue suit that I had gotten from Macy's um, definitely had to put it on my credit card and I had every intent on taking it back because <laughs> like, I did not have that much money at the time um, but so that was my first job but on that first job as janky as it was I still learned uh, certain things like uh, you know how to deal with agents and agents assistants how important it is to have relationships with other assistants to help you, you know, get a break or help you try to figure out a tough and sticky situation. Um, I learned a lot of things about the agency world at that time and just seeing behind the scenes how different um, deals were made. I also got to do a lot of script, um, script uh, reading because that was a development company. So it was a lot of scripts submitted to the company. Um, so I did a lot of script coverage. Um, I was in charge of a team of readers. I got to actually like select which scripts went onto the boss's table. So I definitely, it was a good like first taste into what, uh, the industry entails. Nice. Nice. So after the production company, uh, who'd you work for? I know, I know you, that you, uh, had some experiences one of one of my favorite shows, Wild and Out. Yes, uh, yes. Tell her, talk about it. Talk about it. Man, I had a wonderful opportunity of doing um, a lot of different shows, um, a couple of different shows for MTV. Um, so I started out on Wild and Out, like my relationships from working as a PA on like the VMAs and the movie awards. Uh, got me an opportunity to be um, work on season eight of Wild and Out as a talent um, coordinator, and so that gave me a uh, that was just fun talent coordinator. I got to work with the cast, and I also got to um, bring in the different talent and the different acts that you would see on Wild and Out. 
Wild and Out is such a fun show. Like what you see on stage is authentic. What you see, um, that energy matches the same energy that uh, cast brings to us in the production office. Like we're all very close. Like this offices were all very close, so you got to see a lot of the talent often and interact with them. And it's just you. I've worked on some um, productions. I'm sure you've experienced this too, where like your line producer likes everything to be quiet and there's no fun and you're just focused. Yep. <laughs> Whereas in Wild and Out, it was loud all the time. Like you had music going, you know, like people, we loved each other. We genuinely love each other as uh, the crew. And Nick would often throw like parties after each show like after each uh show so like on season eight there would be a whole after party happening downstairs so you just have this music bumping up into the office (laughs) just this high energy moves music and you're like you know what let's go downstairs and get a drink let's have fun too who who, who were Um, some of the uh the guest artists that that came on 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 that season yo i believe if i recall the migos Migos was out there, and at the time, it was like, nobody knew who Migos was. I was like, oh, yeah. I feel like they had one song or something like that. The, um, the Versace song, probably. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, they were all, like, these, like, nice, super nice guys. Um, I remember, I don't remember what season that was. Uh, what's her name? Starts with a K. I can't even think of homegirl's name. There was so K. Many... Michelle? No. Well, K. Michelle came on one season. I did bring K. Michelle on one season. And in a later season, like, uh, I brought out Party. I brought out it's, it's so many different people. Like, I I think I'll attribute Wiling Out to knowing a lot of the people that I know. <laughs> like, Partisan Fontaine. Yeah. Like, I was at the time, I was like, I don't know who that is. Let me look it up. Oh, okay. Um... <laughs> But as far as as season eight, uh, I believe that was season eight that I've worked on first. It's, man, so many people. And it was just such a small enough thing. Like, I actually remember before the, like, uh, one of the cast members was also a writer. So he came out to L.A. earlier than everybody. And they were like, we can get him a car. And he was like, no, I'm cool. Like, because usually talent just we put them in a shuttle and bring them from one place to another um to set and back and it was like no i'm cool if somebody can pick me up so i would pick up kiko bean oh yeah and you know on my way into the office and we would have conversation really cool guy he lives in north carolina and you know it was just that close-knit like to get to talk to cast like that and he's definitely big time now for sure they were hosting like those three, DC, Chico, and Carlos were hosting the BT yep, uh, Hip Hop Awards. Eighty-five South. Yeah, yeah, and they are hilarious. They are all hilarious. Um, I think in that first season, I don't know how much you watched, but um, Justina Valentine—that was her first season. Um, she was a sweetheart then, and she's still a sweetheart, but she's blowing up as well. Yeah. And so it's really cool to see. It's really cool to see people grow in that way. Most definitely, most definitely. I think that was Charlie Clips first season too. Uh, I think so. Um, he's really cool. People too. I enjoy. Yeah, 
the amazing thing is that show went away and it was so hot it came back without a without a hitch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's a that show takes a lot of talent, I'll say that much. Takes a, it takes a lot of talent and it is definitely holding its place in like television history and culture. You know, there's some shows like I think for you know, Wild and Out came out uh, I guess when when I was in college, but even before that, you know, like the TRLs and the 106 and Parks and those type of things that hold history, hold a place in history for you. And Wilding Out is definitely that show. Like it's however many seasons, and it could even be bigger because it's a variety show, you know. So it could be on the level of one of the many, you know, variety shows that's shaped culture. Mm-mm-mm. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Love it, love it. And so, was was Wild Out the last one you worked for? Um, so after Wild Out, like after I believe it was, I was on season thirteen of Wild Out, and from there, um, I had the opportunity. A friend reached out to me and asked if I'd be interested in being an assistant production coordinator for a Netflix show. And it was like perfect timing because at the time, even though I was enjoying thoroughly enjoying Wild Out, um. I was like, no, I'm really into scripted, and I want to see what the scripted, it would be dope to work at Netflix. And so then my friend just reached out the blue and asked me, and said she had opportunity. So I was able to work on Family Reunion, um, season one, which stars uh, Loretta Devine, Tia Maori, Anthony Elby. It's a fun family sitcom. Um, and that just... Working in a production office, production coordinator, the production office is like the glue of all production. So I get to learn so much from every position. Of course, I get to see like the writers' room up close. I get to see uh, and interface with the showrunner. I get to interface with the studio. I work directly for the producer. Um, but even things like art department might need things, so I can source some. Uh, materials for them or the grips might need something and that's where you really learn about stage stuff like the grips are like hey we need a scissor and uh, uh, giving me the exact dimensions of a scissor lift or like all the different tech terms that they use like and I'm like what is that and they tell me and this is like and I'm like oh that makes sense so now going forth in the next production I know what I'm talking about but it's also as a person whose ultimate goal is to be producing these things I know what to look for and I know what to ask for so I like that a lot can I get a C70 right (laughs) (laughs) or when it's like I think my favorite one was I was working right after family reunion. I went to go work on a show called the big show show, which is also a fam, uh, Netflix, uh, show, but we were looking on set and they were like, Oh, there's a waterfall here. And we're just trying to see if the waterfall could be moved. And I was like, there's a waterfall on stage. Like <laughs> what's happening here. And it's literally like where all these cords from all the electric, uh, you know the lights and stuff right, spill, right. spill over and I'm like oh waterfall got you <laughs> <laughs> hey can like, you can you grab me yeah. some C70s some stingers and some sticks please <laughs> some what <laughs> you're like what <laughs> yeah the lingo the lingo of the film world uh, exactly and, and listen like um 
and making friends with these people like when you work on set with them for you know 14 hours a day you're meeting future crew people people that you know can bring you onto a different job or future, that future oscar winners job. exactly exactly yeah and th- just for clarification c70s are close spins stingers are extension cords and um uh, sticks or uh, tripods yeah, because yeah. <laughs> because so, somebody's gonna hear the podcast and ask me, "Hey, what were those things?" And you know, it's funny. Like when we first went to film school, I think just threw those terms out to be obnoxious, like <laughs> especially like clothespins, right? Like C seventies. What <laughs> in what world can you not call these clothespins? <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> Isn't the story behind it like they used to cost seventy cents a pack or so, some? I think I never knew the story. But yeah, I think I think Crawford told us or something. I can't. Remember. Okay, uh, maybe I wasn't paying attention that day. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh so, my gosh! So, Tola, at what point did you uh, decide that you wanted to branch out and go into your own production company? And before you answer that question, you got to explain to us why the name of that your production company. <laughs> production company I knew that I wanted to you know be in charge of some of the content that I put out and that was going to be under my own banner so along the way um, in this I came across uh, my now business partner Um, his name is Dion Lack and Dion when I met him was a comedian a stand-up comedian who happened to also write and I met him uh, we have both done some things like I've done some plays and he was a writer of the play. So I was acting in the play and he was a writer and, uh, he told me, he was like, I have this project, this sketch that I think is really funny. And I would, I'm just trying to figure out how to produce it. And I was like, Oh, that's easy. <laughs> I can help you. <laughs> I can help you produce it. And, um, so it went forth and we built a team and I think we did two sketches just like and was like oh this is kind of cool we can do this and later on he was he was just like we should really like start a production company and I was like no I'm good I'm gonna do this by myself or one of my girls who I know it's fine right and (laughs) it's cool we work well together I don't know you man (laughs) I don't know you like that and I think, honestly, I think this is around the same time where Lori started going to USC. So I didn't get to see her that often. So this this guy becomes my partner in a lot of different things. Like, he's my go-to to help on different projects. And he was like, I'm really serious. I think we should start a production company. And I was like, okay, but we have to have a name first. And he was like, what about Lactose? And I was like, no. <laughs> First of all, Lactose, Lack is your last name. His last name is Lacking, but on stage it's Lack. So he was like, I was like, they're going to think it's your company and not mine. Right. Where do I come in? And he was like, well, the toast, because you know, you're the producer, you're the person about that money, you're about that black dollar, that black bread, Lactose. And I couldn't think of a better name at the time, so I was like, okay. In my head, I was like, "We can we can change this whenever. <laughs> this name is going to change." But then, well, you're kind of branded now. I know we tried to do like the paper when it came to do the paper. 
even work, I was like, we're sticking with lactose, huh? Um, <laughs> and it's funny because now, like, it's such a great brand name because people remember it. Yeah, you, you <laughs> like, kind of forget it. Yeah, people are like, lactose, tell me more about that. And it's in, in great rooms with great people. We've had the opportunity to, you know, be memorable in that way. And, um, as we've grown over the years, we just shortened it. You know, a lot of times we'll say LTE. It's just a little right. How long? How long have you been? Like, how long have you guys been in existence? We've been exist in existence since 2012. Oh wow! Yeah. So we like um, like we started off just doing sketches, and that was pretty much all we wanted to do. Just do our own thing. We came out the gate hard. We did a bunch of comedy sketches. You can find like Tony Baker and to hear more and all those people that you uh, see across the webs in some of our early work. Um, and then you have um, we did a bunch of short films uh, as well. And then as it's funny as our name was getting, people were like, "Oh, they have cameras. They know how to shoot. Can you do a promo for my business?" And so. <laughs> We kind of grew in that way and got pulled a little bit away from that creative vision, but was able to bring in some sort of income over the years. And then in 2019, um, as a way to get to the original creative vision, I decided uh, that we should open a studio, um, a rental studio. This would be a place that's not only our office, but other photographers and videographers, filmmakers, influencers, all sorts of people could come and rent out this space for their various needs. And so that helped us, you know, one, if you like that, we needed an office space because we, initially we were working out of my home, mm-hmm. which like the equipment started like taking over my living room. And I was like, we are not doing this. <laughs> we are not. I need, I need to be able to get away from the office. So, um, this endeavor allowed, like, you know, for the rent to cover its space, but then we just saw the potential of it for being a real income generating piece that will then allow us and free us up time to do back, you know, get back to our creative stuff with the writing and the shooting and um, not having to worry too much about how are we going to pay rent this month, you know? Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. And you and you ended up producing, I'm not sure, was it under lactose? But you had an award-winning short film. Yes, yes. Um, that one was not under lactose, but it was a great opportunity uh, to produce this film called War Paint. Um, and War Paint is a coming-of-age story about a young girl who um, has to come into reality with what racism and sexism looks like. Um, and it happens um, in the matter of one day. And... Uh, the director is Catrell Kindred, and at the time, she was a fellow for um, ABFF, uh, mm-hmm. the Women's Director Women's uh, Workshop. The American Black Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. ABFF. I should have said AFI. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> AFI. <laughs> American Film Institute. Right. For Director Women's Workshop, and she, um, I was asked to come on and help produce the. And it was just such a wonderful opportunity to come on and tell a great story. Um, and from there, we went on to early, you know, we went straight to Sundance. That was our first festival that we got into. 
Um, and then we went into so many different festivals, including ABFF and AFI, and we won the jury award. Bye. Isn't that wonderful? How did that feel? You know, <laughs> so the first thing was getting into Sundance. That's every filmmaker's dream, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was just reading the trades. So Cottrell and our other producer slid it in, like, didn't want to tell anybody that we were applying for Sundance. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I was at work, and then in my email, I get congratulations, uh, you know, from Sundance. It was like, congratulations, uh, your film has been selected. And I was like, what? What? <laughs> what, fil- what film did I see? Is it April Fool's? Right. I was like, this ain't right. And then I think it came out. Did it come out in the trades? Something. I seen it somewhere else. And I text our um, my one of my uh, produ- fellow producers. And I was just like, uh, I got this email. <laughs> and she called me right away. She was like, we weren't going to tell anybody, but we didn't know they were going to announce it. <laughs> and so that, that just was such a surreal experience. And it felt like hard work pays off because we've been grinding for a long time and it's just like a bit of confirmation that we're definitely on the right road you're on the right track um and then just going to Sundance as a part you know as a participant it's just I don't know it was such a great feeling such a great feeling and it motivated me to go even harder yeah Sundance is a big deal yeah yeah. Sundance is a very, very big deal for any filmmaker. So I, I can I can just see and, and you attended, right? Yes, yes. Perfect. perfect. Um, yeah, went there in the snow. <laughs> yeah, that's the only bad part about Sundance. <laughs> that was my first that was actually my first year going to Sundance and I had like these snow boots that were more cute than functional. Actually broke. Oh no. oh no! Oh so no! Yeah, luckily there was like a ski shop a couple of, you know, like a, a couple of blocks away that I was able to go and buy some actual boots. <laughs> I was just like, I was not really prepared for this, and I'll say I probably really wasn't that prepared for the overall Sundance experience because uh, I feel like one of the things that we don't necessarily we didn't necessarily learn in film school is that like when you're giving these type of opportunities that's your time to capitalize on it people aren't coming necessarily especially as a producer i'm not the i'm not the writer i'm not the director uh so they're not necessarily coming to uh, see what else i have right right um unless i'm putting it out there so like learn quickly that when you're in a festival that size have your next piece of work ready and I actually learned this lesson kind of early I don't know if you know like uh, 2008 I believe it was I was a finalist for uh, the Disney uh, ABC Disney Writers Fellowship I didn't know that I had made it I won't say I had made it to the final round so I wasn't selected uh, but I had made it to like that final round and there at that interview, they right there they just to pitch my yeah. other script ideas. Um, now that makes sense. I wasn't ready. 
It's like we always think we're ready when we're not. Yeah, you're not like, and so, and I think that was reiterated at Sundance to just like be ready, have a pitch ready to go. You never know who you're gonna talk to, but if it's like this is your moment to shine, you better be ready with what your plan B is. What it's are a, you working on next? They say opportunity plus preparation equals luck. Equals success. Equals success. Correct. Yes. But you know it's it's kind of weird because it's a bit a counterproductive because for many filmmakers you know you just don't have the money to even create your first one and here is it they're like okay now that you've done that we want you to have a second right right I think going in um, a little bit more prepared at least I know people who have sold scripts off a really good Pitches. pitch okay a really good elevator pitch and then further it they might not even show a pitch deck but they might be able to give you a quick line so that's not to say you know like, i think you should always be ready ready but i've definitely know people who've sold it off just a really brilliant pitch so even if you have a time to get the funds together for your next film um your first film is your calling card yeah or that your current film is your calling card right and so um, just be ready to know how to sell your second one. Great advice. Great advice. Now, life experience. Life experience. <laughs> now, as as you mentioned, you are a producer as well, which means you play you play both sides of the fence. You're on the business end of it, and you're on the creative end of it. So, my question to you is, which do you really prefer? That's such a good question. Um, I'm such a, I think it's a blessing to be able to be like the person who can do both uh, because I'm using both sides of my mind. Right, Um, right. I would say I like the creative side more and that doesn't take away. So the business side, what I like about the business, I like the, I like doing numbers. I like knowing how much stuff costs. I like knowing, um, the rules for hiring crew and things like that. So from a production management side of it, I really enjoy, um, from us, but from like the, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily the person who networks and has a Rolodex full of everybody, which helps make you a great producer, right? So being able to go and talk to any and everybody is really stressful for this person who considers herself an introvert. It's it's a bit tiring, mm-hmm. um, but it's one of those necessary, I say evils, but it's a skill to be able to go in and get people to get um, in your film and if you're not the person you need to be able to know how to go and get that person and work towards your benefit um, I'm a little bit more comfortable on the creative side right? Um, because that way I can get lost in my own dream world and um, just focus all my energies into uh, just that creative experience but also seeing showrunners who only know I won't say who only know, but who excel at the creative side, and sometimes it's to the detriment of the business. Not knowing the business, yeah, yeah, to the business, and so I think like you, it helps to 
really be strong in both. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Yeah. What is your favorite movie genre, Twilla? That's a good question. This, this also always trip, trip me up in film school when they be like, what's your favorite movie? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, my favorite, favorite genre... Maybe, I would have to say maybe rom-com, but then I also like uh, fantasy, so that's a good one. Okay, I, I can rom-com. I can dig it. Yeah. I've been trying to yeah. get more rom-coms um, for several reasons. Number one, I think they're easier to write. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I want to I try my hand at doing one, you know? Yeah. I also think it's just like something so, um, like the opportunity to get lost to something that's not real like you know like, yeah of course it, it's just like of this course. would never happen but why not put but it on like, screen <laughs> it's just something fun to watch when you don't want to think about the rest of life but especially like our our black rom-coms like best man and mm-hmm. um like early on like deliver us from eva i think is one that was always slept on i loved watching that one and oh, I I, I, I thought Gab, I, I thought Gabrielle Union was a little too scary in that one. I loved it. I was here for it. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that because I feel like we see those in um, with uh, uh, ten things I hate about you. Like yeah, like, you know the, 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 the consummate mean girl. <laughs> yeah, we don't really get to see that in our own stuff. So I think that's why I really enjoyed uh, Deliver Us from Eva. Hitch was great. It's one of my favorites. Um, and even going back to like old, old, what I mentioned doing in um, film school is His Girl Friday. And that's probably one of my favorite uh, rom coms, if you will. I don't even know if they put it in that category, but it should be. Have you ever seen it as good as it gets? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, I think that's such a great movie. I'm trying to, it's another one that I really, I've just seen so many. Uh, oh, no, not as good as, is it? Yeah, that's Jack Nicholson, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that is where he was more the grumpy dude, right? Well, yeah, he was, uh, he kind of fell in love with Diane Keaton at the end, who was dating a daughter. That was cute. I really like that. That really is a good one. Yeah, rom-coms all around. Yes. Yeah, we need to get some more, uh. Rom coms out there from from the um, you know African American and Caribbean and, and African community that'd be great. I think so. I would love to see more of that. That'd be excellent, uh, actually. Yeah. Here's a big question: What is your favorite movie and why? Do, do, do. Oh my gosh, my favorite movie and why? I think this really depends on my mood. This is what I'm coming to. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite movie and why is probably based on my moods. And since you asked me today, I would have to say, geez, this is hard, Crispin. <laughs> I was like, did I stump her? Yeah, you stumped me because there's so many, like, I'm thinking of, like, the movies I'll, like, I frequently just go back and watch, um, no matter what. Um, and one of those movies for sure is Bridesmaids. Oh, and Okay. I love the comedy. I love that it was just like women given the opportunity to be almost as raunchy as men 
mm-hmm. uh, without apology. And I, I just love, like, I, I loved, I love Kristen Wiig. She is such a ridiculously funny lady and great actress. Melissa McCartney was good too. Yes, absolutely. And I know, like, that movie, I'm going to have a good laugh. There's some absurdly embarrassing scenes. There's just. Yeah. And, you know, like, and I, I think because women did not have to play a role. Um, and maybe it was like because women didn't have to pay, play this role through the gaze of a man. Right. I loved it so much. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Now, dream actor to direct. Dream actor to direct. Or actress, you know, actor, actress. <laughs> yeah. This is great. I would. Who does Twila, Twila Tanyi t- 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 want to work with? This, I actually was thinking about the other day, and he's a newer actor that's on the scene, and I don't think he's getting enough attention. Joey Badass. Um, the Joey rapper Bad- Joey Badass. Um, he was in. He's in. Um, he does it a series. Huh? He just did a series, and he has he has, he's gotten a lot of praise for it. Yeah, yeah. He's currently in one of those. Uh, I think it's like Canaan, uh, one of those power books. Right, right. And I think then, it's a new one. It's so interesting that you say Joey Badass because he's so fresh. He's so fresh, but so I've seen him in Blackish as himself. And then there was the short film that came out on Netflix just earlier this year. Um, it's like a black man being shot by the cop over, oh, and, over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah. And he was the lead in that. And so just from seeing him from playing himself to this role, which required you to be frustrated, scared, anxious, um, determined, like I've seen him go through all of these different emotions and then to go and just see clips of him in the new power books. And I was just like, this guy has it. Like Mm -hmm. he's really good. And I feel like he pays attention to detail and he's able to, he understands nuance. Okay. Yeah. And, And I, I really think like, I would love to, work with somebody who's not quite as established is a little bit hungry still and who's pliable yeah who's pliable but is willing to commit to what the role requires and in his performances that's what i've seen and that's just like refreshing yeah it's kind of because people people always um think that they have to act a certain way in order to get by commercially etc so you're, yeah. you're correct. It's good when somebody embraces the entire character and just becomes it. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell he does his work. There's so many great young actors just like um, like right now that I think we're able to see like their talent because there's so many. We're in a place where there's so many, um, so much TV, so much content. For oh, my goodness. It's like every, every, <laughs> every minute you turn around, there's a new platform out. Exactly. So you get to see like actors, uh, so many different types of um, new, fresh talent that I think would be fun to see on the screen. Right. Um, and even like one of the more classic people, and this this might be coming from the place of a crush, but uh, Idris Elba. 
Like I, she said this might be coming from a place. With it. it might be coming from a place of a crush, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Like I have, I've had the opportunity to chat with Idris Elba in a conversation, and like, and this was at Sundance, like a question night. Uh, you know, it was a question and answer panel. But when he talked to me, I felt like I was the only person in the room. Right, but right, of course, like, <laughs> of course. He was there for you. He was there for you. He, he, he looked at me and he was like, Twilla, no. But um, it was just the way he looks you in the eyes and the way that he can engage you in conversation. I think that would be really interesting to direct as well. Ah. And I felt that there in his presence when he was talking and to had me. Not, nothing to do with the crush, but I, I believe Nothing to do with the crush. Nothing. It was all. Strictly <laughs> professional. <laughs> tell, tell us about the some of the difficulties that women, in particular, um, you know, black women or women of color, some of the difficulties that, that, that um, you all have within the, the Hollywood structure, within the industry. Mm, that's good. So, I would say, like, first thing, um, which I see us overcoming a bit, was, like, how we're, how we're perceived as women, uh, especially, like, in the roles that used to only be available to us, like, angry black woman. But I think that really plays, uh, plays throughout, not just on the screen, right? Um, so going back to when you have an opinion, you know, you can be in a production meeting, you can be in the office interacting, um, with other department heads. There's that idea that if we express ourselves, um, in a certain way that we're being angry and it's like, no, I'm at this moment, I'm really just passionate (laughs) and I have that right to express how I feel Um, and I think that kind of sometimes leaves us misunderstood Um, or I'll say this like I've I've been in a situation where I've had um, one of my it was a PA one of my PAs something crazy to me and I had every right to be very upset and I had every right to correct him but I I was talking to my friend and I was like I felt like if I addressed it in that moment I would have been seen as the angry black woman and then it would have been something I did wrong like well Tola did you try to say it like this you know that sort of thing and I think that kind of that stereotype in itself hinders us. Policing the emotions. Yeah. Yeah, because it was like, you, this this person who you're, their, their boss, said something completely wrong, and you had every right to feel all the ways that you felt, and you had every right to express that. And because you're, because, you know, you know how we're perceived, you did not feel comfortable in... Police, you know, in in sharing those emotions at those time, at that time, and I've seen that um, throughout, no matter what levels people are on, and it's like so. Then you're finding a balance where you're not like you're like, well, I don't want to be too aggressive, but I don't want to be a pushover. So it's like this fine line that you feel like you have to take. And um, I've been blessed to work on a show to, with a black woman showrunner who. 
I, from what I gleaned from her, she, I know she doesn't, like, she does not care. <laughs> like, I feel like she's been in the industry long enough to be like, listen, I know what I want, and I don't care what you think. Um, you know, this is my vision, and this is how we're going to move forward. And to see, to have somebody that's, like, in the position of power express herself and then advocate for herself Right. It's a little bit more empowering for you. And so, like, I've learned that from her. Um, and I'm um, speaking of Meg, uh, who was our showrunner fair family reunion. And, you know, she, she's been in this, so she knows. Um, she's been in this for years. She's started off as a staff writer on Eve and all different things. And then she moves up. She advocates not for just for herself, but for, like, her crew. And so I really was able to learn from her, like, it's okay to speak up. Don't police yourself, girl. If that white dude did you wrong, tell him. (laughs) And so, but I do think that's a fight that a lot of us are still um, facing. I mean, just very well articulated. Very well said, Twila. (laughs) Well, thank you, my friend. Because uh, I know you guys go through it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and it's so much just not even, you know, that is that level is being seen like maybe, you know, like you try to always be one of the guys, but you're open to like, you know, as a woman on set, there's open harassment and people think it's okay because that's just how the industry is. And then, <laughs> you know, and then as a black person on set, it's like, did you just, mm-hmm. you know, you face all these little microaggressions and you, it's just tiring sometimes. Every, every like, day. <laughs> You know, it's tiring to always, and then living in intersexuality of intersection um, of being black and female is just its own thing. It's there's so many layers to this thing. You hear me? Uh huh. I mean the whole the whole like you know woman black woman. You know what if you were a black Muslim woman? You know what I mean? Yes, exactly. And 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 you wore hijab. Like it would have been so much more complicated. So it's like. And then, but you're a woman, and you're a black woman with natural hair. Uh huh. And yep. you're, you're a brown skinned woman, you know, as opposed to yep. like, oh my god. It's all these. It's so. It's so many different layers, and it's like you go into these spaces because Hollywood is one of those industries that's always saying, you know, we push for diversity. And but do you really? Might be seeing, right, because we see more diversity in front of the camera, but. Um, there's still issues, even with the diversity programs, like, (laughs) you don't, like, those writing programs, a lot of times, it's been stated that those writers don't get advanced at the same levels as would, you know, other writers, because, you know, they're stuck at staff writer for, like, three and four years, and, um, somebody said it really well, um, articulated really well, like, it's really difficult to be, you know, because of a lot of us black and brown people have uh, socioeconomic disadvantages. Yep. Being in this industry is a, is a luxury that many of us can't afford. Like many people starting off as writer's assistants or PAs living in L.A. or New York can't afford to continue at this rate. Oh, people go home every day. Yes. <laughs> so it's just so many different, like, 
you know, gatekeepers of this industry who don't realize, like, you know, you say you're for diversity, but, you know, that might be requiring you to pay a little bit more to the PAs so they can mm-hmm. stay out here or, you know, across the board on these lower and crew positions. Mm-hmm. Tola, give me some thoughts on all these new spaces opening up for people of color and women. Um, I was looking at the Breakfast Club the other day and they had the founder of Zeus on there. And mm-hmm. it's just an interesting time to be a creative. Um, I love, that's a good question. I love that a lot of like these spaces that's opening up for um, black people and people of color and women are spaces that we've created for ourselves. Um, I mm. think it's important to note that you know, like we've decided to go outside the industry. And you see that first with like Issa Rae and Insecure and how like she pretty much created a show and cultivated like this uh, content. And if you lived in LA at the time, like we, you know, it started to be like, well, awkward black girl uh, is having, is looking for background actors or looking for help. And everybody kind of wanted to be part of that experience. And so it was really fun to see her carve out that space and Hollywood came knocking for her, but she still does stuff like uh, color creatives and um, sips events for, you know, people of color, especially to come out and she'll do it like in Inglewood or on Crenshaw and really just like um, cultivate spaces for us to be in. And then uh, you'll see the same thing with like Kev on stage, who's creating content for black people, you know, uh, he'll tell you that he's auditioned for all these roles in Hollywood and they don't want him. So he'll continue to do his, his own stuff. And you, um, like you said, founder of Zeus, um, creating us, creating another space, um, creating, you know, a channel for content to live. Um, I think a lot of times we're just kind of tired of having, waiting on somebody, to let us in Mm -hmm. and you see that just i mean that's and that's a big move it's like we're no longer waiting on hollywood to let us in and as we've always done historically we kind of set the pace we kind of set the trend and then hollywood and the industry comes knocking um, as, as Fox News, as, as Fox, as the Fox Network, <laughs> Fox, yeah. um, the CW, WB, yeah. they all did yeah. the same thing. They had all the black shows laid out. They got those big markets. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, Dawson's Creek. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, girlfriends is canceled. And you're like, what? <laughs> and yeah, exactly. Um, and. That's why I think this this wave, like we've seen like a wave of like black movies in the 90s and our black sitcoms and then it went away for a long time and now that it's back and it's not like it wasn't started like this trend wasn't started back by like Hollywood saying this is what people want. This is what we were like. This is what we want to see. And so even to give ode to like your Tyler, Tyler Perry, Perry no exactly. Matter, yeah. No matter how we feel about the content, he's doing the work and he's created that space and that's just and that's created you know and that set off the next wave and us doing ourselves independently is motivating people motivating them to give us these big deals um netflix deals and whatever network deals like all the um million multi-million dollar deals this uh, first look deals that's happening with our black creators is film school still necessary twilla huh no. <laughs> and I say this 
listen, I think that going to film school school was an absolute privilege, right? Um, there's no other time in life that you can just set aside to like figure out how to make movies, write scripts, um, watch movies with uh, your group of people. That is like the luxury that film school affords you. Because when you start working. When you start working, you don't have the same amount of time <laughs> at all. That's not going to happen. So film school for that, like I adore that, that period of time that we had to just be creatives and solely creatives. Um, but in this age of technology that we're in, there's too much knowledge at your fingertips for you um, not to be able to learn stuff. You know, like if you really want to seek information, there's like classes and things that you can learn but you learn the most in practice right so if you say i want to learn about film and tv or i want to learn to be a director do it you know what i mean like get on a film set uh meet you know make a film with friends figure out how to hold cameras that's what we see um was it dormtainment um Mm -hmm. i felt like that's that's what they were experimenting a lot yeah. of the times and the stuff they did and there's too many opportunities for people to hold cameras even even if it's just your cell phone to Man. go out and to create I, and if you're serious about it you'll learn all the other things i was telling um and hans and i had this discussion in his interview um and he said that you know content and storytelling will always win and so <laughs> a lot of people may be able to create the content but, you know, storytellers are always uh, unnecessary. And I agree with that. But at the same time, I was telling him, I remember the first time I saw uh, the Canon 5D back in 09. Mm-hmm. And I saw the footage from it. And I said, what sorcery is this? <laughs> because we came up in a time where if it wasn't that Ari Alexa or like a red, like yeah. the footage wasn't good. And I saw I saw the first video I ever saw shot with that was that um, Young Money Bedrock video. Yep. Yep. And I said, oh, my goodness, is this where we're headed? A DSLR can perform like this? Yeah. And the game was changed from that point on. Yeah. I, and I, I think that, like, storytelling and storytellers are important, but that doesn't mean that they're crafted in film schools. Like, you know, like you have, like, these griots who learn organically. They learn, you know, by doing so like I, you know like we go to film school like none of my films from film school will make none of those films anybody will see outside of what y'all saw <laughs> like, right but um but i have i had that time to cut my teeth and to shape whatever that voice is that i have and you're always growing so to those content creators who ultimately want to be filmmakers they should keep studying that craft and that craft could be reading a book and watching YouTube videos like YouTube university is a thing and then practicing, putting that to practice and consistent practice and consistency is that key that helps you get better. Yes. Um, so I do think, and like, I don't know if it's necessary to spend the thousands of dollars. Like, of course, you know, those USC's and NYU's will, and even Howard's will give you the network. Um, You'll, you'll get a network from people and you'll build a community, but I'm just not sure. I can't say that 100% you have to go to film school to learn it. Hmm. 
Interesting to stuff and interesting times. Now, so it leads me to my next question. Is L.A. necessary? <sighs> that is the question. It's expensive out here. Uh, <laughs> so, um, what I will say about L.A. Um, is that L.A. is where a lot of this, the decisions are made. It's where a lot of the work is. Right. Um, it's helps you become an insider. It allows you to grow your network. Um, do I think you have to be in New York to make film? Me, New York, in L.A. to make films? No. Um, do I think that uh, because these are where the writers' rooms are, because this is where it's getting made, is it beneficial? Absolutely. It's beneficial to be here um, if you're strategic what you're doing. Right. Um, but if you were just going to make the film anyway, and I've seen lots of people end up Sundays, never step foot in L.A. Um, so I guess it depends on what your ultimate goal is. I think you can tell stories anywhere. That's one thing that I did learn from Haile Garima. You can go home, use your home resources, and make the film. Will you still have the same crew, the same experienced crew? Probably Maybe not. not. Probably not. <laughs> um, will you have the same pool of actors? Maybe not, but you might find some gems in your home city um, to help you tell that story, or it, you might get have to get a little creative in telling that story. I think you can tell stories wherever you are. But for the business side of it, for the networking side of it, for the pitching it, and even just for bettering your craft of it, I think that you should experience, like, one of the film cities. It could be New York. It could be, you know, at this point, it could be Atlanta, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, Atlanta, Atlanta's you know? popping. Yeah. And um, the next, I know, like, Sony and Netflix are both, like, building out in New Mexico. In New Mexico? New Mexico, I've seen, um, I think uh, Netflix is building in Albuquerque. I'm not sure where Sony's off, uh, studio's opening. I mean, I'll, I'll say this much. Cups. I've been to New Mexico, and they got a lot of land. Yep, they got a lot of land, and it's affordable. <laughs> and it's very affordable. Correct, correct. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Now, what advice would you have for young and upcoming filmmakers? Mm, that's a great question. About the biz. So, about the biz. <laughs> I would tell um, young people to who come out, or just in general, if you want to be a filmmaker, I would say study everything. You know, like not only studying your craft as an art, but study the business. And um, I'll tell you why. Because we can all, I think, I know so many people who have great scripts. I have so many people who have done great films, but you don't know what to do with it after you complete it, right? Right, right. Um, you don't know, you know, like, it's hard to know, do I go to a manager? Do I go to an agent? I put it out at Sundance. You know, I applied to all these film festivals. You can have the most beautiful project, but if nobody sees it, you know, like, the world doesn't know. <laughs> like, you just, you're just stuck with this beautiful project. When you understand the business, when you expand your network, um, you expand your possibilities. And I'm not saying just know the business, like just knowing the know-how, but knowing, like being able to apply it and practice. Um, study that. Study what it looks like to do, what distribution and exhibition looks like. Study who does that. Study what a um, 
film rep is or you know learn beyond what you know learn beyond the creative part learn that business part and start it early I think we fall into a lot of us fall into that trap and it's frustrating you're like I did the film now who's gonna come make me famous or who's gonna put it out into the world right right I, I think this is why we need like teams of us like those who are maybe interested in distribution and marketing to team up mm-hmm. with those who create, and I don't know, it's gonna be right. I mean, and that's why you have like your Ava DuVernay's, right? Right. She's come from that world, so she knows how to get it out there. She knows the backhand. Yep, the backhand. Yeah. I think Lena Waithe has a background in PR as well. Oh, see, there you go. I think um, Lena or Justin, one of them, have that background. So they know what it takes to get the work out there. Yeah, Twilla, what's the best advice you've ever received? <laughs> best advice I've ever received the best advice I've ever received was um, to know yourself and to know yourself in the sense of you know like trust your voice and trust your gut when it comes to not only your craft but like decisions that you make Um, because a lot of people have opinions and a lot of people are going to share those opinions on you um, Whether you want, and, want to or not, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I think a lot of times, like we want to please a lot of people, or at least figure out a way to maybe they know what they're saying, and then we veer off our own our what our intended track was because we listened to other people and we ignored that voice within us. I think there's room to like learn from people. There's room to grow from people, but you have to, at some point, know yourself and trust yourself and be able to move forward. Mm-hmm. Trust yourself and move away yeah. from advice sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Very so deep. Even that, that advice can be good advice, <laughs> like, or that advice can be well-intended advice, but it's not always the you best You have to learn how to get. sift it out. Yeah. Interest. I love it. I love it. Who or what inspires you, Twilla? I am truly inspired for by those um, like the generation after me and this world that we're leaving them. <laughs> I think about um, what I can do to make sure that I can hand this world to them um, a little better off than we received it. And I say in a time where Life is hard. We've endured some of the most difficult years in life. Mm-hmm. Um, planet Earth is mad at us. <laughs> We've treated our environment horribly. We treat each other horribly. Um, yeah. But what I want to do is make sure that people know that, you know, that you can always leave a bit of kindness behind. You can leave, um, you can still leave something better. Mm-hmm. You can touch something to make it better. And I just, so thinking of those generations that come after me and how they des- they deserve to know that that better does exist. I like I like how you said cuz usually people say, you know, the elders inspire me. I like how you said that the, the ones behind you are inspire yeah. And that's true. Yeah. Cuz I, I admire their bravery. Listen. They don't care. Gen Z? Gen Z? They don't care. <laughs> I love it. I was like I think the world is going to is okay because they're in it. Um, the truth is finally coming out of so many things because of Gen Z. Yeah. We were still shy and sheltered and, and controlled. Shell shot. Yeah, I don't know like. what was, I don't know what was in the sauce in in, in, in the nineties, 
in the early 2000s, but these cats ain't yeah. playing. Yeah, and it's needed. And I'm so, you know, I'm inspired. I'm I'm inspired by them and anything that I, I can do to keep, you know, keep that truth there um, and keep them inspired, I'm, I'm, I'm down. Mm. Now, speaking of the youngins, what would Twilla Tanyi say to her 12-year-old self? tell my 12 year old self that just because it's not easy doesn't mean that it's not going to happen Mm. it's you you know we hear the term starving artist you hear people say you know you're not choosing an easy path and that's okay that you're not choosing an easy path Mm -hmm. um but just know that it will be worth it don't don't be too hard on yourself because it doesn't pan out the way you thought it should pan out mm-hmm. because it's still um it's still good it's still going to be good because yeah 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 <laughs> I, you know what what's supposed to happen will happen right yeah yeah so no matter i mean of course i could always tell my 12 year old self to invest in facebook and then then use that money to live off of <laughs> yeah, I should have done that too. What's the next big thing for Twilla? Wow, the next big thing is um, alongside of my studios, which is like right now taking up life, but we're also um, my writing partner and I um, have had the opportunity to sh- shop one of our scripts around. It's getting some love. Um, we just got like a take of notes. And so right now I'm working on those notes. And so hopefully I will be selling my first script soon. It's looking really good right now. So awesome. Is that, is, that, is that a feature? Yes, it's a feature. Wonderful. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Twilla, when you are 105 years old, and you're yes. up on 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 the on the on the uh, on the veranda, the porch of your uh, Malibu house, look overlooking the ocean, in your rocking chair with your cup of chamomile tea. What is that thing that you'll say I wanted to accomplish and I did accomplish? What is your ultimate goal? That is a great question. Um, the first, the fact that I made it to 105 and the Earth hasn't imploded in itself is the uh the most impressive thing (laughs) Uh, but that thing that i've accomplished um i will look back and i will be able to say that i've been able to not only uh create my own lane and create the films that i wanted to create but i've been able to invest in other filmmakers of color Mm-hmm. And help them tell their stories. Ultimately, that's all. That's what it's all about. Um, I see the issue of funding when it comes for us doing our own films, and how um, a lot of times we're not able to raise the money that we should make. So, one of my biggest life goals is to always help um, when it comes to funding uh, people of color tell their stories. And I hope to do hundreds of those <laughs> in the future. Awesome, 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 awesome. So, Tola, this is a segment of the interview where I strap on my spacesuit and I jump out into the atmosphere and I leave you on Planet 30 all alone. Say whatever okay. it is you want to the audience. The planet is yours. Awesome. Well, hello, Planet 30. <laughs> I'm so glad to have the opportunity to speak to you all today. Um, this has been a complete honor. 
And like I said, I always want to leave the world a better place than where we found it. Um, I want to challenge the status quo. I want us all as human beings to look each other and re- look at each other and remember that we're all humans. As a filmmaker, I want to be able to tell the stories of my fellow humans. As a person who considers herself a leader, I want us to be able to live in a world that does not require us to put our base our success of putting our knees on other people's backs. Um, climbing up, I hope that we can look at each other. We can humanity and love and respect and just tell those stories of the voiceless um ultimately i just want uh love and respect and hope to reign supreme well said well said the most important question of the day twilla how do we contact you follow you support you oh you can find me almost everywhere you can find me on instagram at Twilla Amin, that's T-W-I-L-L-A-A-M-I-N, so at Twilla Amin. Um, you can find me at Twitter um, on that with that same handle. My business is uh, Lactost, E-N-T, so L-A-C-K-T-O-A-S-T-E-N-T, and you can find us on Facebook and IG and Twitter um, and our website, Lactost, E-N-T. Com. That's L-A-C-K Toast. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Twilla, I mean, Tanyi, it, it has been an absolute pleasure catching up with you, speaking with you, getting into your mind a little bit, and getting some advice from you. Thank you so much for being on Planet 30. Thank you for having me, Crispin. It's been a blast. It's been an honor. And um, I look forward to doing it again. For sure, when that movie comes out. Yes. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of Planet 30. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at OnPlanet30. Like us on Facebook.com slash Planet30. Our email address is OnPlanet30 at gmail.com. That's O-N-P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y at gmail.com. For more information about Planet 30, visit our website, planet30.com. That's P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y dot com. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30.